Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host Jared and joining me tonight are Sean and Liam. How are you going boys? Yep, going well. It's uh, disgustingly hot in WA so just suffering through it with some cold beer and cold whiskey. How are you Liam? Well meanwhile here it's minus four and I'm absolutely freezing so thanks for the reminder boys. (laughs) We always start off with a bloody weather update and I'm like I don't know who actually likes that so let's just kick straight into our podcast. So on today's podcast what we are going to be talking about is we've got I'm going to quickly review the Celtic Dundee United game then we've got the main topics to discuss off the back of that are the Celtic Rangers Glasgow Derby and the Dubai training camp debacle slash reaction that is eating up all the headlines at the moment over in Glasgow. So um, what we'll do is, I've just touched on it, so Celtic 3, Dundee United 0. I'll throw to you, Sean, and um, you give us a quick little rundown on the game. Yep, uh, didn't go the way we uh, said it would in our last pod. We predicted there would be a set piece to break it, but instead there was a a wonder goal from Ismail Soro. Uh, I actually felt keeper could have done slightly better, but it was like that kind of Nakamura movement of the ball where it moved away from the keeper very late, so it just went past him. Uh, it was a really good goal, and it, it kind of opened the game up for us, and we were really on form the whole game. Uh, we they, they did have a couple of chances that did make our defence look a bit exposed uh, as we have been recently and one of those resulted in us losing Chris Julian for three to four months when he collided with the post 
uh, clearing it off the line. So, yeah, our shady defending, we kept a clean sheet, but it cost us our best defender for almost the rest of the season. We won't be seeing him till April. Uh, the Turnbull goal was, again, a really nice one and off the post. And the, the last goal from Edward, again, great ball over the top from Griffiths and a great finish from Edward. 3-0 flattered Dundee United, to be honest, but at the same time, we did look like we should have conceded one or two. And yeah, as I said, that shaky defending has cost us more than a clean sheet. And Liam, what was your take on the game? Um, Taking that game in isolation, I thought it was a good, solid performance. I think it was exactly what you were hoping to see in the run-up to a, a Rangers game. And uh, yeah, I think the team just went about their business well and could probably have scored a lot more, actually. Um, and unfortunately, as we're going to talk about later, I think the the fact that they created a lot of chances but didn't score as many was a bit of an omen for what happened later on. Yeah, I think you summed that up pretty much spot on there, both these boys. It's um, a game that we could have scored. Could have been one of those ones we up a cricket score. But 3-0, good result. We got the win. In hindsight, I'd rather Julian concede that goal than take himself out on the post and injure himself and be out for four months. But we went to know what was going to happen off the back of that. So, yeah, not ideal. But, yeah, we kept going in the right direction leading into the Derby game. Support for the Celtic Down Under podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in below-the-waist men's grooming. Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The good news is Manscaped have just launched in Australia. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. You can be one of the first to experience their life-changing products here in Australia. Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. Their third generation trimmer features the cutting edge ceramic blades to reduce grooming accidents. When I tell you this is a premium product, I mean premium. The battery will last you 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower and one of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded the engine to a 7000 an RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. If you're listening to me speak about this right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours, get 20% off and free shipping with the code CDU at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CDU at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using the code CDU. Crikey, mate, it's time to shave those balls. All right, so this the Glasgow Derby... Celtic nil, Rangers one. So the first things we want to discuss is the starting lineup and the formation. So, and then we'll just jump through a few other key talking points and review the game. So I'll start off with the starting formation for us. We played the four four two diamond, which was a bit of a shock, in my opinion. I didn't think Lenny would go with that lineup. Uh, I think we all pretty much said something similar on the podcast last week. So we had Barkas in goal. We had Bitton, Ayer, Frimpong, Laxalt in defence. Sorrow, McGregor, Turnbull and Christie in the midfield and Griffiths and Edward up front with a bench which was Rogic, Brown, Taylor, Hazard, Ayeti, Ahmed, Duffy and Cham and Alanusi. So, what was your thoughts, Sean, when you saw the starting lineup and figured out what formation we were going to play? I, I thought he mostly got it right. 
I was a bit concerned that the defence was a bit powder puff, but that didn't really pan out in the game. Uh, what did pan out was a bit different from that, um, but it wasn't a lack of physicality that, that did worry me from the back four. As it turned out, the the rest of the team was, well, I, I hesitate to say spot on, but it was pretty close to spot on. Um, I had a thought that I'd have preferred Rogic over Christie, but the system we played with the high, hard press, that would not have worked with Rogic in the team. Uh, on the other hand, having Christie in the team meant, yep, we had a good press, but also, you know, uh, it, you lose a bit of that attacking verve that, that Rogic offers. Ryan Christie seems to take, a, take it upon himself to just shoot on sight. I, I don't know if he had... I think he had instructions from Peter Lawwell maybe to try and damage Rangers' finances by taking out every chair in row Z as the game went on because uh, they, they took a beating throughout the game. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. He's not trying to shoot holes in the roof of the stadium Yeah, with uh, all these loot, crazy shots. So, yeah, it was um, great with you on that. It was a bit of an interesting one because, yeah, as you said, Rogic will play guys in. He's more of a link man in that role, but Christie, yeah, shoot on sight. So... Liam, what was your thoughts when you saw the lineup and the formation? Um, I mean, it was it was fairly close to the the team that I'd said I'd hoped for um, in last week's pod. So, actually, can't really fault the team at all. I think it was a good selection. I think we um, we set out to go at them, which is what was was necessary going into the game because we know we had to win. So, yeah. I think it was the, no problems on that side at all. Yeah, and then we um, we get into the game when, and there was a few key talking points, so we'll just go through a few of them off the top of my head and then I'll throw it open to both of you to just go through anything else that you want to add. But about four minutes in, Morelos stamps on Frimpong. Nothing to see here. Um, score a couple of... We should have scored a couple of early goals. Hit the post a couple of times, missed by Bees Dick here and there. So, um, yeah, realistically, in my opinion, from the game watching it, it was it reminded me of a complete flip, or from when we beat them in the League Cup final last year. There was a dominant team, and an opportunistic goal at the other end, and yeah, off you went from there, but. I'm going to leave the most controversial one of them to one of you boys to bring up, and then we can all just discuss that later on, which was the red card. So I'll throw it over to you, Liam. Any mm. key talking points you want to mention about the game or anything else, go for it. Yeah, um, I'm probably aging myself here, but it really seemed to me like a flashback to the Tommy Burns era at Celtic. You know, play them off the park should have been three or four nothing up, then they snatch a goal out of nowhere and just kill us. It really was horrible to watch, to be honest. Because on the one hand, you think, oh, we should have scored five or six. But then you think, looking at the way the game panned out, you know, sometimes you get a feeling that the fates just aren't with you for whatever reason. I reckon we could have played for 300 years and not scored in that game. It just wasn't going to go our way, unfortunately. I actually disagree with you on that. I thought that, okay, where we got to the 60-odd minute mark, I thought, okay, we just missed a few times. 
they their wing backs hadn't really got into the game. So I was thinking, all right, we make another sub, we bring on, we take say if we take Griff off or whatever, and we're to bring a Yeti on, or something similar like that. I thought that'd give us that little bit more, a bit of a different look. I thought that was working well. I thought we, I still thought at that point, sixty minutes into the game, that we were still a chance to score one or two. And then Biton decides to rugby tackle someone and uh, Morelos and uh yeah, the game spun on a dime like that. I actually think that uh, we were starting to look a bit because the thing is when when you're dominating like like Liam mentioned in the, the Tommy Burns style, you're you're burning through a lot of energy because that's what we were doing was we were pressing them all over the pitch. We were high and stopping them from playing out in the back and basically the defence was not it was quite, they didn't have too much to do to be honest and they, they did for that first hour did reasonably well uh, with what they did have to do but just before that there was the warning sign of uh, Kent getting in behind Ayer and Ayer I didn't know he had that kind of pace in him to catch up and, and overtake Kent but even uh, there was a good tackle from Laxalt in the first half when Bitton was out of position. But then for the red card, Laxalt just wasn't there, you know. So th- that's the difference. In 40 minutes, Laxalt's got that energy to cover Bitton, and then in 60 minutes he doesn't because, you know, after an hour you start to lose a bit. And then the fullbacks for Rangers start getting a bit more space when our midfield are, you know, a couple of yards deeper than they were for the first hour. I, I thought that when you're playing with such intensity and such high press, you need to make a couple of changes before, you know, on the hour, really. And, and that would have headed off what had happened. I thought in 60 minutes, if we'd been bringing on... It's nitpicking, I know. But if you've been bringing on Greg Taylor in 60 minutes and bringing on Rogic, maybe, or someone else, those fresh legs, then that red card is prevented straight away. Uh and if Rogers was in charge, that would have happened. Because he was famous for, as soon as it hit 60 minutes in every game, change for the sake of change, you know. That's something else I agree with you there on Sean, where I thought when the red card happened, rather than sacrificing Turnbull up front and, and Griffiths, I would have been like, all right, let's tighten it up a bit at the back. We've got to take off either Frimpong or we've got to take off Laxalt. And push a um and put Taylor in because he's more secure there to play in that role, or you could have put him on, taken out one of your midfielders, kept your two up top. That's what I I would have liked to have seen, but now I'm chair expert. Everything's everything's twenty twenty in hindsight and everything over here. So um yeah, not ideal, but that is what it is. So we'll jump over to the actual incident. Biton's red card. The whole um, give Morelos a little... Oh, that was later on anyway, but Morelos with his little cuddle with the ref as well. We'll talk about those and the ref's, ref's performances. But all right, boys, quick quick little snap poll. Biton, Biton's tackle, straight red or should have been yellow? Sean, what's yeah, your thought? Yeah, yeah, it was a red, yeah. Uh, I thought it was a definite red, uh, but I also think if the... If it was at the other end of the pitch, it would not have been given as a red. So even though I think it was the correct decision, 
I think if it was Balogun wrestling with Edwards or Griffiths or you know Goldson pulling them, it would not have been given as a red. Uh, I almost feel like the fact that he rugby tackled him made it an easier decision for Madden. Like, for example, if he's come together and they've tangled legs, like, you know, if he's accidentally, quote, quote unquote, accidentally tangled legs with them and they've both fallen down, I don't think he gives a red. Uh, if he's obstructed them by running across them, don't think he gives a red. But the fact that he's so blatantly done a deliberate foul, then, you know, it's almost like a yellow and a half. And, and that's Madden's just, that's why he's not hesitated. He's not even thought about it. And, uh, you know, Lennon afterwards saying and he didn't think it was a red, I don't think he really believes that. I think he's just saying that because that's what he has to do to keep his players' heads up and keep them on side and create that uh, siege mentality that we'll need for the rest of the season. And what about you, Liam? What was your take on it? Aye. And applying the full letter of the law, it's a red card. However... Taken in the context of some of the other decisions that were given in this game, and we'll come to those in a minute, uh, it should have been a yellow card. Because the referee has made it clear he's going to be lenient on certain things. You can't then go and be ultra strict on another thing. That's inconsistent refereeing. And it leaves you open, intentional or not, it leaves you open to allegations that you're biased. What? Biased refereeing in Scotland? What? I know, I know. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? You know what's funny there, Liam? You've just said, letter of the law, it's a red. But, and this is the, the, the grey area that's there, letter mm. of the law can also be interpreted that it's a yellow because when you went to the wide shot, which is what Lenny was talking about, okay, yes, it wasn't a clear goal-scoring opportunity because he was getting pushed towards the corner flag and also mm. it was miles away from the goal and Ayer was in coverage. So if you go to the wide shot, Ayer is there. So technically, Ayer is the last defender. Yeah. So it's technically not a red on letter of the law if you look at it that way. But anyone who's watched football over the years and knows the game would say he didn't even try to play at the ball. Like if, as Sean said, if he tried to play at the ball, they tangled legs, they both went down. Fine, it's a yellow card. But the fact that he's just rugby tackled him, gave him a bit of a bear hug and a bit of a cuddle onto the ground, it's definitely a red card. But there's also there's also ways to deliberately foul someone without do you know what I mean? Like my personal experience, like what I would have done is just I mean you got caught wrong side of them, so there's very little you can do at that point when there's someone faster on you and you're wrong side, then yeah, you pretty much have to either let them go or do what he did. But what he should have been doing before the ball was even kicked by the Rangers player was he should have been the correct side. And he should have been in a position where if he knows he's on toast, he can, you know, then do the fake leg tangle or, you know, even pretend. What, what you see this all the time is centre-backs is they pretend to be fouled by the striker and, and they get it nine times out of ten. You get the shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with them. You're leaning on them with your arm into their ribs. They then, especially once Morelos is ill-disciplined, he flings an arm up at you like trying to elbow you in the head. Bang, there you go. You'll get the call, not him. Diego Costa is another one of those strikers that you can do that to all the time. When he was playing at Chelsea, it was the same deal. So there's certain players and strikers that you can target that and do that sort of thing on, and there's a way to get that call. But that was just 
a guy who's been playing centre-back for a couple of years now, being caught out of position, doing the thing that the one thing I was worried about when I saw him in the back line was he switches off. That was one thing with Bitton. I saw it pre-game and I'm like, okay, I don't know, probably would have rather Duffy. And that's saying something because he's an actual centre-back and then Bitton is the guy who switched off. So, yeah, not ideal, well, but... Uh, evidence suggests Duffy probably would have done the same thing. Yeah, I know. Mm. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I was just trying to say. Like, there's no better option here. Once we lost Julian during the week... What else are we going to do? Put Welsh out there? Yeah. Play Bruni at centre-back? Overall, <laughs> they had zero shots in target, which is the same as what we had in the last derby, right? But So you're you're basically flipping it around from the last derby, but they win both of them, right? And every all three of those goals are set pieces. Yep. So, you know... What does that tell you? <laughs> uh, the problem is not what's happening with the ball in open play, is it? It's a coaching thing. It's something you should be working on on the, on the training pitch. Like if it's honestly, since Rogers left, we've got worse and worse and worse defending free kicks and corners. And I don't know whether we're playing zonal marking, we're going man marking. Should we have had guys on the posts? Who knows. So, yeah, you have a guy on the back post, that's not a goal. It's, it's that simple. I'm, I'm not going to give Rogers credit because he didn't he didn't do with set pieces. It was... Um, uh, Davies, was wasn't it? The Davies, yeah. Um, yeah. Chris Davies. Even, even in Lennon's first spell, we were... What's that, what's that noise? <laughs> Sorry. Who's, who's typing and scratching? Are you eating crisps, Liam? No, not at all, no. I don't know where that's coming from. Uh, oh. Okay, sorry, I'll start again. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, uh, in Rogers' first spell, oh, sorry, I don't think Rogers was ever in charge of set pieces because whenever we had the set piece routine, it was always credited to the assistant manager, uh, to Davis. And, and in Lennon's first spell, we were pretty good at attacking and defending set pieces, but in hindsight, it seems that wasn't Lennon, that was Gary Parker, and he's not here anymore. And so Kennedy is not cutting it and Strachan is not cutting it. And yeah, at the end of the day, the buck stops with Lennon. But historically, no Celtic manager that I know of has been the one. I mean, definitely not Martin O'Neill. Like, name a Celtic manager that is maybe Strachan is probably the only one I could think of that is in Gordon Strachan that actually would have had hands on dealing with that sort of set piece thing. That's an assistant manager and a coach's job. And so I'm not going to hang Lennon out for that even though the buck ultimately stops with him. Speaking about the goal that was conceded, very unfortunate for Callum McGregor. Considering was probably one of our better better handful of players on the day to concede the own goal. What was your take on that, Liam? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one of those really unfortunate things that can happen in a game, especially when, I, as I said earlier, a game where you're the better team, but you just feel it's not it's not going your way. That's the sort of thing that happens. Um, uh, how is it my dad put it? It spun off his head at a truly Masonic angle. <laughs> Ended up in the net. Um, but yeah, it 
it's hard to take. And the problem is, you come away thinking, would you actually f- almost feel better if you'd just been gubbed two or three nothing? Losing that way when you know you should have beat them, it just it hurts even more. If it we really were, does. If we were playing like shit and then got absolutely smacked, as you're saying, two, three, four, nil, whatever, it would have been a lot easier to take, I reckon, because the fact that we were the better team on the park, playing the better football for the majority of the game, to then have a guy red carded and then, you know, an own goal, potentially Duffy should have been sent off again himself later on as well. We could have been a couple of men guys down. And it's just, we're our own worst enemies. And, yeah, it's just frustrating. But not, not much we can do about it now. On the day, my, my liver took a bigger beating than Celtic, but they were both losers at the end of the day. So what's the difference? <laughs> oh, I've got a, got a question for you, Sean. How'd your yeah. missus go at the game? <laughs> oh, she was She was not enjoying it. <laughs> she had like her head on the table at some points. I think she was just laughing at me more than anything. <laughs> yeah, you sent a picture through to us and it looked like she was having a bit of a nap pregame. <laughs> oh yeah, she was yeah, she was just so fed up because the music was on before, like they had the band on. So yeah. we were in there like she thought the game was at eight, it was at half eight. So we were in there like almost two hours before the game and then so after about half an hour I told her and then she was like oh god and <laughs> that's when she put her head on my shoulder and she was just sighing yeah it was a long night for her yeah uh, sorry could you just talk about the, the goal quickly um, yeah. in terms of the, the back post thing um, so like it's, what does it say it's like coach's preference so when I'm coaching what you find at amateur level is that you have players, the first thing they do is they run towards the posts. They're like, oh, I'm here, I'm on the post, I don't need to mark someone. So you actually get these players, oh, yeah, I don't need to mark someone if I'm on the front post. Crap, someone's on the front post, I'll head towards the back post. And that's the kind of amateur way to do it. And what I do is, as a coach and as a captain is that I just start shouting at them, like, get the off that post, that post's not going to score a goal and what I do is make sure every player is man-marked and then, okay, you're not marking someone, go in the post. You're not, and you, it always works out but you need to, you know, the if it's numbers aren't right, the goal post is not going to score a goal. So I'm going to, again, not chew Lennon out or whoever's in charge of set pieces too much because the post doesn't score goals. But... If you are going to put someone on the post, it should really be the back post because that's where the knock-ons and the high balls go and that goes over the keeper's head and that's where you're in that danger area. We had someone on the front post, Edward, he came off it. We had players not marking anyone. Why was one of them not in the back post? So I don't think it's a given that you need a player on the back post, but when you look at that actual corner, there should have been someone there. There's players not marking anyone, there's a player in the front post. You do not give front post preference over back post. That's my opinion from my coaching. So if we were to go through the game, we gave each of our players a rating out of 10. If I rattle off a name, and just quickly tell us what you'd give them. So Barkas. Didn't do anything, did he? Six, I guess. 
No mistake. Eight. Eight. He did nothing wrong. Beton. Four. Uh, four. Uh, five. Lax out. Six. Defended well. Nothing forward. Seven. But I do think we should have went with Taylor instead in hindsight. Oh, yeah. Thought he was really good. Eight. Agreed. Eight. Possibly our best player on the day. Frimpong. Uh, final ball was poor, but did well otherwise. Seven. Aye, seven. Uh, functioned well as an out ball for us, which is what we needed them to do on the day. Sorry. Yeah, great. And I don't think is the fouls that you were receiving were actually fouls. I think the ref was just, you know, oh, you won the ball off Rangers. That's a foul. Oh, right, okay. Uh, and you've done that five times now, so I better give you a yellow card. Uh, yeah, eight. I thought he was really good. Yeah, eight. They tried to rough him up and he didn't take any shit, and I like to see that in a player. Turnbull. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was quietly effective. Uh, good touch and stuff, so six and a half. Aye, six. D- did well for his first big derby game, but needs to learn a bit of composure, especially with those long-range efforts. McGregor. Yeah, I thought he was good. Uh, seven, seven and a half for me. Aye. Seven would be an eight if not for the goal. Christy. <laughs> um, pressed well, but when he, whenever he got the ball at his feet, he was poor, so five. Aye. Um, I mean, he, he, he tried hard enough, but it just wasn't really working for him on the day. I'll say a, aye, a five's probably fair. Griffiths. Yeah, he was pretty good. So didn't get as much service as he would have liked, but he kept the defence on their toes with his pressing. Six, purely because he wasn't as involved as he could have been, not because he did anything wrong. Uh, I would agree with that. Didn't quite assert himself on the game like we hope he would, but didn't do anything wrong either. And Edward? Yeah, I thought he was a solid seven. Uh if one of, if that chance early on in the first five minutes goes in, it's a whole different game. Same story for Griffiths, I suppose. But Edwards kept at it, and he he did trouble them, and his passing was, and link up was really good. Uh, my brother was not a fan of his, and messaged me at half time saying that he was shite, but I didn't agree with that. I thought he was doing well, and I thought seven overall. Uh, I'll say six point five. Um, I don't think he had a bad game, but. On a derby day, you're looking for your big names to really make a mark. And for me, it didn't really do that. So, yeah. In Edward's defence, though, I would like to say what you're saying there, Liam, about you're looking for your big names to make their mark. I agree with you. However, Mm. when he hasn't done it all season, he's not just going to flick the switch and it's going to happen. So That's a fair point. Like, That's a fair point. The thing I did like about Edward watching him, particularly in the first, say, hour, was I reckon that's the most running off the ball, pressing, running into channels and stuff that I've seen him do probably in the last 12, 18 months in a game. So his work mm-hmm. rate was there. I was happy with what I saw for that first hour or so. But then, yeah, as we went down to 10 men, 
formation change. We got little out of him for the last half hour. I mean, with with a striker, it, it's a, it's a bit like the way they talk about goalkeepers as well. You know, Barkas could have made eight or nine world class saves, but if he drops a clanger in the last minute, it's a two out of ten. Yeah. Edward had a reasonable enough game, but if he just scored a goal at any point, that immediately goes up to probably a nine or a ten. You know. Yeah, just know. that one second that can change it. So, last thing we need to rank for the game is a score out of minus 10 to minus 10,000. What would you give Mad Hun, the referee? Uh, honestly, like if, if I'm being realistic, a score out of 10, I think it's hard to say because you know you've seen so much worse. So, I don't want to. He's, he himself has been worse in the past. So how do you really scale that? You don't have to scale it. I was just saying it to be silly, but what's of his performance? Like for me, I think the thing that made it tough with him was the inconsistencies throughout the game. Like that first tackle by Morales. Then there was soft crap that he's calling four or five times where Sorry wins the ball. Oh, it's a foul. That's a foul. And it's like, what? The guy who fell over is like a foot taller than Sorrow. Sorrow's just getting to it quicker. The guy's not expecting it and he falls over and he's getting all their free kicks. So the inconsistencies there, when it, when it went the other way, we didn't get those calls. Same thing happened to Griffiths a few times. He gets clattered into and it's like, play on. So the inconsistencies across the game just drove me insane. Yeah, the those bitty fouls that they was given against Sorrow were driving me mad. Actually spilled my cider at one point, slamming the table. Uh, but the with regards to that Morelos one on Frimpong's ankle, I don't really blame Madden for that one. I don't think there's any way he could have seen that. But the camera angle on the TV <laughs> clearly shows the fourth official looking straight at it from about ten yards away. So, what the f- is the fourth official doing? What is the point of his existence if he? with a direct microphone link to the referee, cannot tell the referee that that is at least a yellow card. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. With the angle he had, it's like, you go back a couple of years to the Jozo one where it was like Douglas Ross going, red card, red card, red card, and the camera's picking up the whole thing. And now you're looking at it going, you've got that and you've got the guy right behind it looking directly at it, and you're like, that's not a call. So realistically, Morella should have been red carded because he would have picked up a yellow flat. He would have picked up another yellow later on. Then there was when he also threw a punch at Bruni and the referee grabbed him. And then you've got Bitton's red. Duffy probably should have got red carded for that clatter job that he did later on as well. So of the four potential red cards that I can remember off the top of my head, he only gave one. Yeah. You, you get the calling the ticky-tack fouls and then you've got that... Where I just said there's four red card potential red cards, and it gives one. It kind of shows inconsistencies that drive us all insane. Yeah, and look, and it's not even that. Did he? Did you see him at any point having a word or talking to a player? Nope. No, me neither. Yeah. Other than when he called our guys over. Yeah, that's right. Well, he, he did sorry, it to Sorrow, and he did it to McGregor. That's it. Yeah, I don't think he had a word with a single hun. Just, uh, you know, oh, that's a red card offence, I'll give you a yellow kind of thing. Or, Yeah, look, if you just look back to the last time he refereed a, a Glasgow derby and 
he was actually worse that day. That was the one where it was one each and Griffiths was through and goal and Clint Hill took him down from behind. Jeez, oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, and, mm. and apart from the fact it was uh, a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity, even if he thought that Clint Hill got a foot to that ball, he's came through Griffiths from behind. But I don't know if I should be going over this old ground, but that is a red card and penalty all day long. Much worse than the bit on one. But, you know, and what does he do after that game? Just ask Clint Hill, hey, Clint, what happened? Was that a foul? And Clint Hill just says to him, well, that's your job. So do your fucking job, Madden. <laughs> I think that the, the body language says a lot of it. You can just tell the way he interacted with Celtic players, the way he interacted with Huns was completely different. Um, like you say, with the Rangers players, it was like, all right, lads, calm down. Let's keep it easy. As soon as a Celtic player is like, what are you doing? Red card! You know, immediate. It's, it's just like, I don't know. It, it, you can, it, it can't even hide his obvious bias, you know? I mean, there are some referees who I suspect are no friends of ours, but they do. They go about it in a professional way that you can't really pin anything on them. But Madden, it's quite obvious that the guy is compromised. See, yeah, I, I somewhat agree with you. But I don't think it's a conspiracy, and and I don't. I know he was a season ticket holder, at Ibrooks and all that, and he's from East Kilbride, and he's in mm. drinks in the same pub as Ali McCoy's, blah blah blah. But I don't think it's a conspiracy. I don't think it's a conscious bias, but I do think it is an unconscious bias. You know. People keep saying, oh, referees are human, they make mistakes. Well, you know something that is scientifically proven to exist in humans? Unconscious bias. And yep. this guy was a season ticket holder at Ibrooks. And I'll, you know, what are we supposed to think? This is the thing. I mean, you know, you can, you can have opinions, but you can't have your own facts. And statistical facts do not lie. You know, Rangers have not had a penalty given against them at Ibrooks this season. Fact. No, they've not had a penalty you know. given against them. Aye, right. Fact. Not, you know, not they are. have the lowest disciplinary point ratio per player, despite having committed almost the, the highest number of fouls. That's a fact. You know, there's the statistical evidence to show clearly that refereeing, when it comes to Rangers, is inconsistent. No, like like you say, you can't you can't prove a conspiracy on that basis, and I don't think it's a conspiracy either. But I do agree with you that there's at least an unconscious bias there. Um, but that's never going to get talked about because we're all just paranoid Celtic fans, apparently, you know. Well, the stats you're talking about, Liam, show some pretty solid consistency, just not quite a fair consistency. They're consistently aye. inconsistent. There you go. That's, an, that's just <laughs> There you up. go. Aye. aye. Consistently unfair. That's what we'll say. Mm-hmm. Somebody yeah. said to me they've not conceded a penalty this calendar year uh, in 2020. Is that right? I don't know. I think so. They didn't concede one in the whole of 2020. Yep, sounds about right. Now, when you think about it, that's only this season plus what eight or nine games, so I probably. No, it's more than eight or nine because you get a ton of games in that March, that kind of area. Yeah, but it, the season was called before the derby at the start of March. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it is, it's, a, it's about maybe eight, nine, maybe ten games you're talking about. So I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. Full calendar year without conceding a penalty. That seems statistically improbable to me. 
All right. There's so. also the issue of why have not why have they not had a single positive COVID test yet? That they had uh, did that. Sorry, sorry. I mean to say, why have they not had any games postponed as a result of positive COVID tests? You know, that's a question. I'll use that there, Liam, as a uh, a segue into the next topic, which is the um the Dubai training camp situation we've got now. You're talking about, you know, they're not having any tests, they're not having people pulled up if they breach COVID bubble regulations, that sort of stuff. Well, case in point is earlier in the season, we had some games delayed because of Bolongoli. They have a couple of breaches. First training session of the season, there's Gerard breaching the bubble in his car. Nothing said in the media by the government. We then get to the point now where we're off in Dubai on a training camp that was signed off for by the government and now the SFA should look into that coming out from Nicola Sturgeon. Like the whole idea of the training camp we'll discuss in a bit more detail later because that's a hot topic at the moment but the inconsistencies in the reporting the government's reaction to our players versus their players delaying of games all that sort of stuff. I'll throw it to you Liam because I want to hear your thoughts on the inconsistencies there. Right. Well, first of all, this whole thing, the the kerfuffle around Celtic going to Dubai, would not have been an issue if, one, the league and the government had agreed on a coherent, consistent policy for all clubs from the start of the season. But they didn't do that, and they've just been making it up as they go along which is where teams like St Mirren and Kilmarnock, I think, actually do have a valid grievance for the way they've been treated. Um, but that's again, that's not Celtic's problem. But um, with the government, and this is unfortunate, and it's, you know, it's probably going to upset a few people when I say this, but this is the, the way I see it. Um, the, the Scottish government are going out of their way to pander to the one demographic they cannot get to vote for them yet. And that is your bitter unionist, predominantly Rangers supporting demographic. And those guys, by being seen to either come down hard on Celtic or creating the illusion that you're going to come down hard on Celtic, despite there being no legal basis for doing so, Somebody at SNPHQ clearly thinks this will bring on more voters for them in an election year. Ignoring the fact that these the unionist voters who are so set in their way, they wouldn't piss on the SNP if they were on fire. So it's not gonna it's not gonna affect that. And all it's doing is upsetting people from our side who are being inclined to support the SNP and support independence. Um, it's political grandstanding because it's an election year. That's that's all it is. And I think most intelligent voters out there can see it for what it is, regardless of their affiliation or what team they support. And it's quite, I really expected better from the Scottish government, to be honest. It's quite pathetic. I will say, Liam, on, on regards to how the Scottish government are involved, they, the head doesn't seem to know what the hand is doing. Uh, like From all the talk about this Dubai trip has been approved by John Swinney as recently as this weekend, and I know he's I gather he's Celtic-minded, so you know he might have mm. a different opinion from Nicola Sturgeon, but he's approved it. And and with regards to when our fixtures were postponed, quote unquote, uh, by the Scottish government earlier in the year, well, 
Tony Fitzpatrick, the sports minister, went on uh, BBC Sports Sound and, and fully and categorically denied that. Th- those games that were postponed after Bolongoli was a SPFL slash SFA decision. And, well, because uh, the SPFL slash SFA, whoever made that decision, has not denied what Fitzpatrick said, the sports minister, about the fact that... So he came out and said, we could not and would not postpone a game. So that is an SPFL slash SFA decision. So as much as the head and the hand of the government don't know what's happening with regards to sports, this is not just a government issue. No, that, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, but my, my main takeaway from it is that the government are allowing this to go the way it's going because they think that being seen to be sympathetic to Rangers might win them more votes. I, I do, I, I think that. Maybe I'm being cynical, but I think there's more than a bit of electioneering in play here. Well, my take is sports and politics, keep them separate. Mm. So what we'll do is we'll just jump off the back there, but because knowing you the way we do, Liam, I reckon we could let you go on like a good 15, 20 minute tangent on this if we really wanted to. And I'm like, oh, I think all the listeners would switch off. So we'll yes, jump nobody, in. nobody wants to hear that. That's yeah. Yeah. All right. So what we'll do is we'll jump into the, um, the whole Dubai situation. So the training camp. So in an ideal world, like this time last year, even before COVID, decided to rear its ugly head all over the globe. Celtic Football Club going to Dubai for their winter break training camp. Great. No issue with that, personally. What's the issue at the moment is you've got 60-something thousand season ticket holders who cannot get to a game, have put all this money in for a dodgy stream, can't go more than however many kilometres to go and visit family and friends, yet our players are allowed to go to Dubai for a, for a training camp. Like, I wouldn't have an issue with that 12 months ago, 24 months ago or beyond that. But at the moment, it's a PR disaster for the club. We haven't felt the room, felt the mood of the support at the moment, and it doesn't come across in the best way that it probably should. On top of that, I want to touch on before we throw to you guys, the photo of the guys sitting poolside, smashing beers. Okay. If you go away on a work trip, it's common knowledge. The day that you would travel, you'd probably have a drink or something anyway because it's been a long-ass day traveling. I know I did it when I went up to the Gold Coast a few weeks back. Whatever. But to have lost the derby, be 19 points behind, have those issues with lockdown being the harshest lockdown that they've had in the UK and have our guys seen doing that, it's not a good look. It's something I would expect to see from the mob across the town not from Celtic Football Club. Now, I've ranted for a little bit here, so I'll throw to you now, Sean. What's your take on it? What's your view on it? Open mic, go for it. 
Yeah, as you said, Jared, it's it's optics. And look, if you win the game, uh, the optics are rose tinted, and if you lose it, I don't know what's the opposite of rose tinted, brown tinted. I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> brown tinted optics of what's happening. So, if they win the game, cool. Yeah, good job, hard work. You worked hard, guys. Uh, you earned that pint. Enjoy it. Uh, did they work any less hard in defeat? Don't think so. Uh, so it seems like it's more of a, you know, uh, ah, I'm suffering, I'm pissed off, and part of my source of suffering is is Celtic. So why are you guys also not suffering? And and I, I think that's a subjectivity that people should really oh, like. Ninety nine out of hundred people are not going to be self-aware enough to realise that but yeah, Celtic should Neil Lennon, Scott Brown should be self-aware enough to realise that most people are going to feel that way and and then it becomes a question of professionalism Okay, if, if you look at under Brendan Rodgers, whenever they won the League Cup mid-season nobody had a drink, they had the champagne after the game but nobody went out uh, after we won the Scottish Cup the other week uh, I think they had a quite a jolly uh, it's a question of professionalism Andy Robertson uh, who was released by Celtic and ended up at Queen's Park uh, on his way up at some point uh, I think it was when he got with Jackie McNamara maybe it was when he went to Liverpool he made the rule that he did not touch alcohol for 10 months of the year the 10 months when he was uh, playing his trade and look, and I've heard other people say, uh, look, if you want to be a professional footballer, just don't drink for, what is it, 15, 20 years? Just just don't do it, don't drink. That's If you want to be the maximum, the top of your, your trade, that's all you have to do. Look at players like Maradona and Jinky, who had more talent than almost any other player in the world, and, and they had a substance abuse problem that stopped them from reaching their full potential. Um you know, if Ronaldo and Messi drank, would we'd be talking about them in the same breath? I don't think so. So it is a question of professionalism. Uh, but if there's two people going to drink in the squads, it might as well be the two that aren't. Doesn't make a difference, really. <laughs> Does that make sense? If you were to say before this happened, name three, three or four people in our squad who would be busted having a beer poolside in... Dubai, I guarantee the majority of people would say Lenny, Bruni, Duffy, Griffiths. They'd probably be the first four. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, they're all there. Hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we broke any rules, but at the same time, it just doesn't look good and it's not professional. Yeah, they actually did something and apparently we haven't broken any rules at all, but mm. it's just not a good look. And that's what's got people up in arms. Like, I think it's going to be a massive drop-off next season at the club in terms of season tickets being sold. That's to be expected. But, yeah, this I've seen probably about five or six people in the last couple of hours on social media saying after the, all this current situation over in Dubai, they're not renewing. And these are guys who have been season ticket holders for 20-plus years. So, yeah... It's um not a good look at all. What's your I, take, I, Liam? Sorry, just sorry, Liam. No, sorry. I, yeah, go ahead. 
sorry, just to give you a real life uh, analogy that that happened to me recently, is you know I'm doing well in my work, I'm getting good performance reviews. It comes around to the end. Of, I'm a teacher. You don't know. It comes around to the end of term. I send an email out to all staff. Oh, you know, tough term, guys. Let's uh, meet up on the the last Friday uh, of the term, and we'll have some beers together in the local pub. Cool. Cut cut to a couple of terms later. Uh, get some bad performance reviews. A couple of incidents go against me, uh, and then it comes to the end of that term, and I'm keeping my head down. I'm not sending emails. I'm not asking people to go out for drinks. I'm I'm staying quiet on the download. Lennon and Brown have not done that. They've done the opposite. It's a good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> now over to you Liam now what you have to remember here is that how you've how you've seen those pictures of Brown and Lennon how you've had the whole Celtic going to Dubai thing presented to you has been through the lens of how the media have chosen to present it right now with the with the Scottish media uh, and again, I don't think it's a conscious, like, let's all screw up Celtic kind of thing. I think it's more a fact of controversy and anger sells newspapers and gets clicks, right? So they're trying to create the most inflammatory angle around this whole Celtic going to Dubai story as possible. Now, because we lost the game to Rangers, because it's not been a great season, because a new lockdown came into force in Scotland this week, that's the perfect storm for them to, to create this. What the hell are Celtic doing buggering off to the, the UAE um, narrative? Now, again, I agree. It's bad optics. Celtic shouldn't be planning a trip to some sunny, faraway destination when supporters who, you know, gave all the money they could to renew their season ticket to watch a game on the telly paying 10 times what we pay for the same privilege um, are probably struggling now because, you know, they might have lost their jobs thanks to this pandemic. It's bad. It's, 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 um, it's the same as the whole thing with the, the, the fan protests recently and the way the club handled that. At a media communication level, Celtic are completely incapable of reading the room. They're completely incapable of reading the room and adjusting their presentation to how people are actually feeling outside of the club. They've got a complete lack of awareness beyond what's going on right in front of them. That being said, this trip was fully approved by the by the, the governing bodies, by the government. Um, I've just read a statement there from the Scottish FA saying they will not be pursuing an investigation into this because there's no basis. So that's it confirmed that Celtic have officially done nothing wrong here um but also there's the idea of what would happen if they'd cancelled it let's say celtic came out and said on saturday night right okay we lost to rangers the league's basically gone we don't feel it's appropriate or sends the right message when there's another lockdown about to start for us to all swan off to dubai for a week immediately the press would have conducted, conduct, con, conducted another narrative saying, oh, they're Celtic just pissing away three or four million quid in expenses for their trip to Dubai while ordinary fans are struggling to just pay their rent. They would have constructed another negative story. Celtic couldn't win either way. And from a commercial standpoint, cancelling 
the the trip, which probably involved flights, hotels, um, sports booking out sports facilities, catering. You probably have about a dozen different companies that Celtic entered into contracts with to make that Dubai thing happen. Stiffing them all at a day's notice creates a really bad image for you as a as a business, and it it's not worth that kind of fallout just because some people are pissed off because we lost a football match. I know it's a game against Rangers. It's the biggest game we play in a season, but it is just one football match and you can't change plans that are six six months, maybe nine months in the making just because you lose one football match. Here's another thought. Why <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're missing up an opportunity to play a midweek game when we've got three games behind and we're going to be four games behind by the end of January and four games behind by the time we play Hibs this Monday. Uh, like It goes to what I said last week about they're not really interested in winning the league. They're just... I don't know what the hell they're thinking, to be honest. like All these games in hand and they're not even trying to put them in. You know, you had that free midweek before the cup final. Free midweek now. Cool. We'll just jump off to Dubai instead of try to catch up and win these games. If they thought we were going to win the game against Rangers, then they should have been capitalising on some momentum. Did they think did they just assume we were going to lose? And that's why they've planned to buy? Clearly they're not thinking. <laughs> yeah. Again, it goes back to that, com- that chronic inability to read the room, which is the root of most of these problems. But that, that's not even reading the room. That's just... Common sense. I don't know. It's just... I don't know. It's almost why do they not want to play these games? We don't. the The bigger the gap gets, it, the gap is a psychological thing. You know, like three games in hand, whatever. It's nineteen, and if you're not trying to win those games and get them back, even stuff like playing the game in the, the evening instead of the afternoon, like every time you do that, you're creating this psychological burden. Did they not? Is there nobody with a ounce of common sense that sees that? I mean, the other thing is, though, that the fact that Celtic have gone to Dubai for a few years now, that suggests to me that probably, there's probably some sort of medium to long-term contract between Celtic and a number of companies in Dubai to do this thing. And if you're talking a multi-year contract for a fully private and independently managed trip for probably about 30 to 40 people. If you do that over five years, that could easily run into seven figures. And if Celtic suddenly say, no, we're not doing it anymore, that money's down the toilet. Now, again, to us, it seems like common sense to not do it, but we don't know how much of a financial liability Celtic would have faced if they had just cancelled the trip on Saturday night. I'm not defending them. I'm just saying from their point of view, that's probably how they're rationalising it. Who cares about that, man? Send back Duffy and El Yunusi and we'll earn profit. Um, I will. That's, we, but again, the, the money men care about that. That's the problem. And we've got money men running the club. That's the reality. If we actually cared about winning the league, we'd be sending Rangers to Dubai. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Paying for them to go. So uh, congratulations. You're top of the league. Here's a trip to Dubai. Have, all expenses paid. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy it. Relax. Come back and yeah. see what happens. Anyway, that's. Um, I'm sure anyone listening will have their own opinion on the whole Dubai situation, what their take is. So, 
let us know what your thoughts are on it in the comments below. I'd love to hear from you all. Next match, as you just touched on before, Sean, playing Hibs on, what is it? Monday. Maybe. Monday over there, oh, so Tuesday, Tuesday our time. Um, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a weird one. Long as break between games and it's on stupid o'clock over here our time. So, uh, Well, we're probably going to be 22 points behind going into it. <laughs> Which is, you know, first week in January, that is insane. It's ridiculous. And I don't know. Uh, you know, the, the tennis pumped. At the end of the day, I think the only reason they're just keeping things rolling is just in case Rangers fall apart. And, you know, because if they fall apart and we started, and in, in, so say we pull the trigger and say, yep, we're building for next year. Cheerio and Cham, Cheerio Ayer, Cheerio whoever, come in, you manager, new players, young blood, we're building for next year, and then Rangers fall apart like they do every other year, and we've started rebuilding, then all hell fire breaks loose. So that's not an option for them. They have to keep rolling as if we're still playing for this, which is puts us in this stupid limbo at the moment where we're just going to be suffering for the next five months with no optimism. And the score Sorry. prediction then for the game against him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think we'll win 2-0. <laughs> well, they just got spanked off Livingston. I think we'll be okay. Uh, we're, we're playing well enough. Um, but that's another thing, isn't it? If we come back from this and we look languid after having been on form... <laughs> And uh, that's going to be another issue that we have to deal with. Yeah. And what about you, Liam? What's your score prediction for I, the game this year? Um, yeah, I tend to agree. I think, yeah, 2-0, two, two maybe 3-1. I'll say 3-1. There you go. 3-1. We'll win. All we can do now is just win every game and see what happens. Is I mean, that mathematically... Mathematically, we need to win every single game between now and the end of the season, including beating them twice, and they need to lose a further two games after losing to us. I don't see that Rangers team losing four games between now and the end of the season, but stranger things have happened. We need two Snickers. Aye, basically. And to be perfect. It's done, man, it's done. (laughs) It's it's possible. (laughs) It's possible, but you know... It's possible, but do I think it'll happen? No. It's possible, but then again, it's still technically possible I might shag Kylie Minogue someday, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, Liam, I was, I was literally about to say it's possible I'll get a blowjob from Kylie Minogue. That is weird. Now. <laughs> it's, it's You're a man of good taste, Sean. I'll give you that. <laughs> disgusting minds think alike. All right. So we'll... Um... <laughs> In the podcast there. <laughs> Apologies, <laughs> Kylie, if you're listening. These, <laughs> these two just drooling over our fellow Australian Kylie Minogue, and uh, you know how it is. It's uh, football's a it's a week's a long time in football, is the same. So <laughs> you guys have just rattled me. I got the saying wrong too. <laughs> but um, yeah, just um, hope everyone enjoyed the podcast. Uh, if you do, give us a follow on your podcast app. Also. Join our Celtic Down Under Facebook page and group. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Celtic Down. And anyone who is interested, 
Go to manscaped.com, use the code CDU to get 20% off with free shipping on the Lawnmower 3.0. So, um, everyone, until next game, hail, hail. Hail, hail. hail. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.